for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So I've got some friends, mainly those Venezuela boys, that would rather get a beating than hunt in the snow in the cold. They swear they just ain't built for it. Guys, I love hunting in the snow, but let me tell you what, there definitely was a learning curve. And trust me, when I say it can be a hard, unforgiving, and miserable experience, and even possibly dangerous if you're not prepared for it. So on today's show, I'll be talking about possible failure points when hunting in snow and freezing temps and tips to help you overcome them. Those topics, some personal Thanksgiving thoughts, along with our Elk Bros shout outs and questions from our Elk Bros mailbox. So my friends, pull up a chair and like Gilbert says, turn your volumes up just right and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkGrows.com, with your host Gilbert Ornelas and elk hunting coach Joe Gillian. You want to hunt elk? And they live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons, doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello again, everyone, and if this is your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy the show. And for those blue-collar hunters out there following our show and grinding it out with us every week, welcome back to Elk Camp. I am your elk hunting coach, Joe Gillia, coming to you from Cimarron, New Mexico. And as you can tell, I'm flying solo tonight. Uh, so I want to make sure that I give a huge shout-out to Gilbert and Chav, who aren't with me tonight. Um, and for those of you guys that have been following the show, uh, you know that there have been some things that have come up in our life. And uh, actually, you know, we're still 
battling that. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about it. But I just wanted you to know that doing tonight's show was important to me, especially with the Thanksgiving week this week. Uh, we generally record this a week ahead of time. Gilbert, myself, Chav. Um, Chav hasn't been with us sometime because of his illness and his battle and the things that he's going through. And basically that took all of us uh, and all of us circled up the wagons and we've all been with Chav by his side to help him through this battle and to continually help him through this. But again, it was because this week is about Thanksgiving. And let me just tell you that this was important for me to do this evening to put this out to you because our family, myself, uh, we have so much to be thankful for. And, you know, I, I said in the past that we would talk about this and what's going on. And if you followed us, you know that uh, Chav was diagnosed um, back in September. Um, he was up in the mountains hunting with us, putting in mileage. And that's what's so incredible. I mean, this guy was up and down the hills, up and down the mountains. And we get back from our hunting trip and things start to happen to him and come to find out Chav was diagnosed with cancer. We did not know until weeks later what the true diagnosis was. So Chav was diagnosed with follicular lymphoma that had uh, gone stage four and mastocized into the bones of his body. Um, all along his spine, he had tumors uh, in his chest, in his ribs, in his hip area. Um, for us, it was a devastating time. And uh, it really rocked our world. And, but if you know us, if you know Chav, if you know um, the personality of this family, there, there isn't any quit in this family. And there's definitely not no quit in Leroy Chav Chavez, as Gilbert says, as I know him, my brother. And you guys hear me talk about Chav and... I always say how, and I describe Chav as my brother because he is more my brother than anybody, any of my siblings that are, are, are blood to me. I mean, I've, this guy's been by my side for 38 years. We're best friends. We're, we're married to sisters. We've hunted together for 38 seasons. We've coached together. We fished together. We travel together. We're basically, we, we are, we're best friends. We have been best friends for a long time in our life. And we have an incredible connection. And that meant to me that whatever he was going to go through, I'm going to go through with him. And I'm going to help him through it. And I will tell you that God, we've, we've kind of developed this motto uh, because, you know, I've always coached kids and I've told them that life's about peaks and valleys. You have your ups, you have your downs. It's, it's just about surviving those valleys and continually climbing back up and trying to get back up. You get knocked down, you get back up and you move forward. And, you know, uh, those aren't just words to us. That's that's how we believe. And we've always tried to stay positive. And I can tell you um, during this battle, it's been hard to stay positive. It really has. Uh, but I think the thing that has done it for me 
has been watching Chav. Uh, man, I mean, what he has gone through. So when the tumors happened on his back, this guy who is a former NCAA um, national champion, cross-country runner, guy that has been up and down mountains with me in a matter of three days had lost his ability to use his lower body. There, he developed a tumor on his spine that impinged his spine and which became a medical emergency and he lost total use and total feel from his waist down. So let's talk about thanks and thanksgiving. Um, we had a series of events, man. I, I, I tell you, a long story short, a lot of things happened. And, you know, people talk about God having a plan. I truly, truly, truly believe that. We don't always know what it is, and it's not always the way we want it to be. But things happened for Chav that uh, the whole time as this was happening, day by day, moment by moment, hour by hour, uh, that... I'm telling you, some of it, we never knew what the diagnosis was. They thought it was this. He loses his legs. He, he goes from one hospital, becomes a medical emergency, sent to another hospital. Uh, and we end up at UNMH, UNM Hospital in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And the people there were phenomenal. And this guy went through a battery of tests. And uh, what he was subjected to for, I mean, a week of painkillers that basically made him oblivious and you know how he just stayed in the game and how he fought and how he did it with such grace no matter what happened to him you know um <laughs> when you lose your legs y'all you you, you got to swallow a lot of pride and you know these people at this hospital did things for him in such a professional manner that allowed him to still have his dignity, that allowed our family to help him to have dignity. And uh, um, they immediately started this, this um, direct radiation on his spine. And, you know, most of you guys don't know, but Chow hates people to touch his feet, man. He's incredibly ticklish. And when he lost his feel, he had on his on his right foot, it, his toe would move a little bit, even after, you know, when he was losing everything. And, and they knew that if they didn't do something fast and that impingement stayed in there, he would, he would lose that forever. And, you know, they, they did the radiation, and it was like two days later, I go by and I, I, I do like a, a little thumb zip on the bottom of his foot, and his, and his, his foot jumped. And when it did that, oh, my God, it, it, I you know, any day, y'all, that you are feeling that you're not able to go on, you're feeling like it's your toughest step, that things are just pressing on you and you're not able to, to go any further, you can. I'm telling you, you can. Stop, take a breath, say a little prayer, look around you at the people that are there in your life to help you. And I don't care how small it is, take that tiniest little bit of a step because that's where my brother is right now. He is trying to learn how to walk again. And, you know, we've, 
we've seen steps and we've seen progress in five days where starting to get feel back in his legs and he's starting to have muscles fire that weren't firing. And this is why I'm telling you, I'm here on this Thanksgiving week to tell you how thankful I am for seeing a man's toe be able to move, to be seeing uh, a muscle fire in his legs and to watch him with his wife, my sister-in-law Kathy there, his daughter Lene, um, my wife, our family, circled around him and how, man, when... uh, I never thought I'd be cheering to find out that he had a certain type of cancer because when we found out that it wasn't in his pancreas or it wasn't in uh, his liver or his kidneys or that it was follicular and they tell us that this is treatable, we're like, yes. You know, so I think the the message and this personal message that I want to give you in this Thanksgiving week is a lot of times Life is about perspective. And, uh, you know, there's some people that follow us and that we follow on Instagram that uh, uh, disabled, uh, disabled vets, uh, people that are double amputees, uh, you know, people that uh, are missing one leg or, or ha- you know, uh, have issues with the other one. And, and you guys know who I'm talking to out there. A lot of those uh, gentlemen that have done things in their life to overcome. Well, I'm telling you, uh, they are a story. Chav is a story. And there are thousands of stories out there happening this very moment. And I think all that we have to do when we think things are so hard for us is to put it in perspective. Stop. Look around. Take it all in and be thankful for every little thing that we might take for granted. So um, I want to be thankful for the journey that my brother is on right now and the progress that he is making. You know, he had a setback yesterday uh, after his first round of chemo. He got an infection and it ended up um, being back in the emergency room and the doctors, man, and the nurses and our family are right there. And they say, hey, this is a setback. They are just amazed at his progress. And I tell you what, I am, I have zero doubt that he's going to accomplish some huge goals. And I just want to tell you how thankful I am for watching that because he gives me a total new perspective in a time that... A lot of us take things for granted. And I want to be thankful for my incredible family and friends. You know, those guys that we call Elk Bros, Gilbert, Manano, Luis. Uh, gosh, uh, I, I, we have personal friends that uh, are in this game with us. They are doing so much and, and they're, they're constantly communicating and, and uh and it's like they're there with us, even though they're not there in body. We know they're there in spirit. And they've done some things to make Chav smile, to make him laugh. And that's another reason I'm doing this is, is, is Chav, I, I want you to hear this message as well. Because I know that you listen to this. And I want you to know how daggum proud I am of you. And I have told you every day how much I love you. And I totally 
totally, not an ounce in my body that does not believe that you're not going to beat this. So um, uh, our listeners, y'all, God, you guys have been so incredible. The letters, the emails that have come into Chavin, and when he gets one, now he can finally, he's got his iPad, and he's trying to answer you guys back. Those, those emails, the texts, the gifts, the prayers, and the well wishes that I'm getting from people from all over the United States and out of this country, guys in Canada and different places. So uh, for those of you that would like to send your best wishes, to send some positive thoughts, uh, prayers, Chav's way, and just tell him, hey, man, we're, we're there with you. You can email him at chav, that's C-H-A-V, at elkbros.com. That's E-L-K-B-R-O-S.com. All right? So that is my Thanksgiving thought that I wanted to put out there. And uh, I, I appreciate you. Uh, listening and and letting me do that and uh and i'm gonna move on from that um somewhat i mean it might pop up as we go and you know i people sometimes have a hard time with me because when things go a little wrong or when things get tough or uh when things just really seem like uh they're they're not that good of a situation I'm I'm always laughing and chuckling, and uh, it's not because I don't think it's serious. It's not that I don't care about it. It's my own personal defense mechanism is that uh, in my life, I have found that, you know, laughter is the best medicine, and sometimes uh, I, I've got to do that rather than cry. Uh, either that or put my fist through a wall, and uh, I've gotten a little mature <laughs> so that I don't do something like that anymore. Uh, you know, when I was younger, in my younger days, you know, a lot of stupid stuff. But uh, now I'm, I'm, I'm maybe a little smarter. My, my wife doesn't always think so, but just a little bit. So, uh, guys, and when I say guys, I mean in guys and gals. I, I was a coach for so many years, and I always talk to my, I'd say, hey, guys, and I'm talking to my guys and my girls. I coached both of them. I don't want to leave anybody out, so make sure you know my definition is that I'm talking to all of y'all, ladies and gentlemen. So before we talk about hunting in the cold, there's something that you guys haven't heard for a while, and that's our shout out. Shout out, shout out. So if you're new to the show, these are our shout outs to just a few cities with the most listeners topping our charts this week. And it looks like I'm going to have to do this myself. So here we go. First up on our list, topping our charts just south of Green Bay and just north of Milwaukee and Chicago, this Wisconsin village was formed by incorporating seven separate hamlets. Okay, so first of all, how cool is that word, hamlet, right? It, it just sounds friendly, small and, uh, I don't know, hamlety? <laughs> I thought the word village was cool when I moved to Cimarron, but hamlet is just off the charts cool, y'all. So um, if you go here, you can check out, let me see if I can get this right, Menominee Falls, Kinderberg Park, or all the activities at Holy Hill. Look, y'all, this is a place where you know your neighbors, neighbors, people wave and say hello, and you know that you're someplace special. And the Oktoberfest is guaranteed to be incredible. 
And so our first shout out is to Germantown, Wisconsin. Eeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeee
they might be hunting deer this time of year and uh, they have their own issues to deal with. I'll try to throw some of those in as we go. But if you're a late season hunter, most likely you're out there with the rifle hunting. And I tell you, like I said in the beginning, I love to hunt in the snow. There's just something about it. I, I mean, there's advantages. The, the elk stand out. They're, they're, they're dark against the snow. Uh, the part I love the most is tracking. I think that just takes me back to a primal state. That is just awesome. And there's something about, mo especially a fresh powdery snow. Now, if it's a snow that has frozen, melted, frozen, you get that crunch or you get that six inches of hard snow under that other powder and you, you know, it, 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 you don't get the same effect, but man, a fresh powder snow when you're moving through it is just, it's quiet, it's silent. And to me, I don't know, when I'm, when I'm dressed and I'm prepared for it, there's just something comforting about it. And, you know, but like I said earlier, if you are not ready for it, and I can tell you, uh, when Chav and I first started this venture and the first time we hunted in snow, oh my gosh, we were so unprepared. Frozen feet, frozen hands, ice beards, things coming off our eyebrows. We tried hunting in other people's boots because we didn't have them and they didn't fit right. And I, it was a total disaster. I mean, so... Okay, time to learn. Lessons learned, and, and we kept doing that. And so hopefully, I'm going to be able to pass some of those on to you right now. And, you know, a lot of whitetail hunters, you guys know what it's like to hunt in the cold. That's the time of the year mostly that you're doing that. Uh, but there are some differences. I mean, you, you pretty much have the clothes to do it. You understand the cold. You understand staying warm. You know that you don't want to get an ice layer on your body. But it can be a little different if you're doing just walking to a blind versus hiking in the mountains because a couple things. The gear that you got to have on your back is different. And generally, you're not going to be, you know, getting that constant sweat, you know, when you're, when you're hiking through the mountains. Because I tell you what. And we're going to talk about it a little bit, but snow can be work, all right? Um, known distances. Generally, if you guys are hunting whitetail, most of the time you're in a blind situation, whether it's in a tree, whether it's in a ground, whether it's on a, you know, uh, uh, one of those stand building blinds. And you pretty much have known distances there uh, when you're doing that, whereas Rifle hunters out in the West, uh, you're having to deal with the terrain changes, the up, the down. You're having to deal with, um, you know, being able to tell how far an animal is away, whether it's, you know, 400, 300, 200, whatever your, your distance is. The, the, like I said, clothing, there's going to be some similarities and some differences, which we'll talk about. And the other part is hauling out the animal. You know, uh, I'm not saying it's not hard to haul out a whitetail, uh, especially you start getting up further north. You get to those big whitetails that uh, are some, some big boys. But unless you've started hiking and trying to haul out an elk out of the mountains when, when you're back there, uh, let me tell you, you have not experienced work. And the good thing is, is snow can help that. But also, if you're not ready and you're not dressed right and you get in the wrong type of situation, it can be dangerous. You know, I don't know if any of you guys snow ski, but if you ever step on a downed 
piece of timber underneath the snow that is in a downward position with your boot, you're going skiing. So, and, and I mean, you know, you end up getting down into a snow. Uh, now you can get it all over you, you get wet, things start to happen. So that there are some similarities and there's some differences. And mule deer hunters that hunt in the West, now that might be a little different because a lot of you guys are hiking and hunting those mountains the same way. So you're pretty much dealing with a lot of the same issues and you've pretty much gotten your gear worked out. So here's what, uh, what I like to start out with is that we always want, our Elk Bros rule is, and you'll hear it all the time, identify your possible areas of failure and prepare to overcome them. And when it comes to hunting and freezing temps and snow, we're going to talk about what those possible failure points are. And we will talk about clothes, but I'll tell you this. It seems to me that all my hunters that I guide this time of year or, or when, you know, that I come across their issues, that they're generally pretty ready when it comes to clothes. Now, they do have issues as far as what that clothing does to utilizing their weapon or or when they're moving through the hills, what we'll talk about here in a second. But they pretty much are pretty well prepared. I find that their failure points come in four different areas, and that would be weapon and cold weather shooting, uh, energy level, gear, and after the kill. That seems to be the four areas that they have the most issue. So I'm going to start with that first one, weapon and cold weather shooting. And remember, guys, um, you're going to get a lot of great content here. And I just want to throw this out. If uh, you like what you're hearing here, do me a favor. Uh, go down and rate us right now. We'd love to have a five-star rating. It is Thanksgiving. Be nice. Uh, and we would really appreciate it if you guys would go in and give us a review by what we hear from your reviews, uh, it really lets us know what kind of job we're doing, and we'd really appreciate that. Also, uh, as I'm going through this, if you develop a question on this, if you don't agree with me, send me an email, or if you have a question, send that email, and you can send that question or that comment to info at elkbros.com. That's I-N-F-O at elkbros, E-L-K-B-R-O-S.com, okay? So, the first one we deal with is weapon and cold weather shooting. And I was just talking about clothing before. And I would tell you, these are the areas that I have found the most issues that hunters I guide have where they have those failure points. And one of them is most of these guys just have not been in that thick clothing when they're having to work with their weapon. A lot of guys don't like to go to a shooting range when it's freezing cold or in bad weather. So most of the time they're gonna go when it's better weather, they're wearing a jacket. So now their gun butt fits differently when it comes into their shoulder. When you're wearing that thick clothing, you know, whether it, you know, it be mittens on your hands, which we're gonna talk about, but especially the jackets, now that's going to push that gun a little bit forward away from your shoulder. Getting it up can also get caught inside here as they're getting up. It feels just a little bit further different, which changes their eye relief. So guys, um, I preach this with everything. If you're going to hunt in it, practice in it. 
go out there and do that. Check and make sure that you're getting into your shoulder good, that it's not pushing that gun, that it's not changing that, because that you can even change, you, you might even change your form because the way that is, which changes how you shoot as well. So it's real important that you do that. Also, um, sometimes you can get away with things not being so thick because you do a better job with your layers, where you have a... Uh, a layer of, uh, you know, that base layer against your body. Uh, I, I really like a thin base layer with a shirt on top of that, maybe a vest on that, and then I have my outer. And it's not really, it's something that's going to more break the wind, uh, and, and I'm going to have something on my neck, hands. We'll talk about that here in a minute. But I try not to bulk it up. I try not to bulk it up so much so that it's not too much, of a change. So that's one thing. The thick clothing. Realize that you could have a problem with that. Now, the next thing I find with their cold weather shooting is problems with actions and triggers. And and there's a couple reasons why this happens. You know, if you are using lubrication, especially like uh, like vegetable-based lubrication, or you haven't cleaned your gun and it works in warm weather, great. If that gets gummed up, then it can actually become a problem when you get into that sub-freezing conditions. Uh, that's why I like to tell guys, if you're going to hunt elk and you're going to be doing it in cold weather or deer, if for that matter, I truly believe that simpler guns are better for cold weather. The bolt actions, thumb safeties instead of trigger uh, you know, the, the button in front of your trigger. I like a thumb safety that I can work up on top here. Uh, those, I think, are going to do you better in a cold situation. And we, we talked about the lubrication. Nothing gel-like. Guys, clean and dry is going to be your best bet. Minimal lubrication out there. If you keep moisture out of that action and what's going on inside your gun, you're going to have it work better for you. Okay. Wet snow, frozen condensation, um, and you can get condensation on your weapons in different ways. I mean, if, if you're going in and out of a warm truck into freezing temps, you can develop condensation on your weapon that can freeze and that can cause some issues. Or if you end up getting some snow that's on your gun, you go in and it melts and gets water inside there, that can then become a problem. So, you know, think about these things when you're out there. It's, it's better if, you're, if your weapon acclimates into that freezing cold and it keeps that, that temperature on it so that you don't get, uh, you know, that condensation. If you have to, carry a, a, a rag with you for drying things as well on there, all right? Um, now, when it comes to problems, I think there's a, a, a problem with triggers that happens from mittens or gloves. You know, it, and I'm going to tell you, it's so important. If you are using thick gloves that you've never used before, mittens, and, and I believe that this should happen no matter what. I tell my guys that I'm guiding, 
you do not put your finger on a trigger until you are ready to shoot. When you have that animal sighted in, crosshairs on it, then you're going to put that finger on that trigger. Because especially if you're wearing thick gloves and mittens and you get your, your, your glove around that, and most guns, guys, I mean, you guys have those hair triggers out there, and you get a thick glove that gets near that trigger, it can push that thing and cause that gun to go off prematurely without you wanting it to. So uh, you don't want any unintentional fire uh, weapons firing like that. So it's, it's, this is so necessary because the, the other thing is, is if you do end up with cold fingers and, and your finger gets numb, that makes it real hard to tell what you're doing in, in by touch as well. So this is a, uh, I think dealing with that trigger is an important area of a failure point that you want to take care of. Um, I like myself to, to use a thin glove, possibly with my finger even cut out on it, or if it's something that can feel real good, and you guys have different choices on that, with a pair of mittens over top of it, something that I can fold back and get my fingers out of. I really think mittens are way warmer than gloves. They keep that heat from your fingers next to each other. So I keep something minimal on the inside with a, with a inside of a mitten. Now, whatever you wear, guys, practice with it that's that's real critical so um i think uh, when we talk about cold weather shooting i think the most important thing to tell you is take what you're going to wear try it find that area of failure see how it feels because everything it even makes the gun feel different when you have all of this thick stuff on you don't have that same feel so you gotta practice with that whatever you're gonna hunt in practice in it so that you can make sure that you get that down and, and same thing for those bow hunters out there man if you have not drawn with all this stuff on your face or you haven't had your release i don't use a release i use fingers so again i keep my glove inside some mittens and then i go back with them and and i'll shoot that way but you know there's things that can happen on your bow as well not as much that can go wrong but it does have a whole different feel. I've even seen people that have been in a tree stand that have gotten so cold, they've had an animal standing right under them and they weren't even able to draw. So that's something for you guys to think about. Whatever you're gonna hunt in, practice in it. Find the possible failure, okay? Now, another thing as far as cold weather shooting, issues with scopes. This is a huge one. So I had a guy, um, we were hunting in snow falling. He has uh, his gun on a sling. And unbeknownst to me, he doesn't have any uh, uh, scope guards, you know, on the front, didn't have a neoprene guard, nothing on it. It was just an open scope. We get in on an animal and I set up the sticks. He throws up the gun. The animal's walking away. We had him broadside, and he's near the trees and starts to walk away. And next thing I know, he's reaching down. He's got his gun up, and he's digging snow out of his scope, throwing it up again. Now his hand has melted some of that snow inside there, and it's, 
you know, there's no way he can see what's going on. So next thing I know, now he's pulling his shirt tail out and he's trying to clean a scope like that. By the time he gets ready, we look up and all we see is butt going through. So missed opportunity. And I think one of the best things is, is just a neoprene waterproof scope cover. They go on nice and fast. They come off really quick. They're easy to use, uh, and they, they protect your scope. They don't let any dirt. They don't let any, uh, uh, anything fall into it, and they definitely keep the weather out of it. So I would recommend you can find them on Amazon for different price levels, but they're not that expensive, man. Uh, probably under 20 bucks. Okay. And you know, when you have spent all that money to get out there to hunt elk, eh, you sure would hate to have something less than 20 bucks keep you from being successful with that. Okay. So let's go to the next category. If you had any questions on that other one, write them down now, send them to me. All right. Uh, the next one I'm going to talk about is their energy level. And I think depending on the type of hunt you do, you know, if you've got a pack on your back and you're hunting in snow, now if you've got four inches of snow on the ground, not a big deal. You have snow coming up to your knees, coming up to your thighs, especially snow that, let's say you had an earlier snow, it melted, it crusted, and then you get another six or seven, eight inches on top of that, so that when you're stepping, you get that, that step through. I'm telling you what, Hunting in snow like that is work, and you're going to you're going to work up a sweat. You're going to get cold if you work up a sweat, and that's going to sap your energy. So, guys, number one is sweat against your skin in freezing cold temps can be dangerous. Uh, it it can set you up for hypothermia. Um, if your energy level drops and you just don't have the, the fuel to keep yourself body warm, you know, that it, it's just something that you want to do. So one thing that you got to think about if you are hunting in snow like that, there's different things. You know, I, I know guys that hunt in snowshoes, but if you don't have one of those layers, that can still be work as well. But if you have deep snow and you have those different layers, it can keep you up makes it easier, not so hard to work in. If you are hunting in a deep snow um, without a snowshoe and you have fresh snow that's high and powdery, it, then just take your time. You know, take your time as you move through it. And I would recommend for you to get up on the sides of hills or in where there's trees because the trees actually will cause uh, there to be less snow around them rather than down in a bottom in a level area. And your north sides are going to be deeper than your south sides as far as that goes as well. So look for those places and those areas where you've got thick cover. Now, your thickest cover is going to be on your north side, but where the trees are thick, it's going to kind of protect the ground from getting a whole lot of snow on it. So you can actually work in there. So there's, there's, here's a couple things about that. When you're in that north side, it doesn't get as much sun, so you don't get as much problem with the sun melting and refreezing. Um, it's going to be less snow. It might be a little more quiet. And when those animals are bedded, they like to bed in those thick areas. So you got a lot of good things happening in that type of area there. So that's something for you to think about as well. 
make sure that you're wearing base layers that are going to help to pull moisture away from your body that is then going to let it, um, uh, it's going to, you know, go ahead and let that disperse off of you so that it's not staying on your skin. And I love merino wool. I didn't know that I would. I've always been a polyprope or I've used a dry fit. Uh, but I, this last year, I used merino wool and I really like its qualities. I like it in hotter days. I like it in freezing temps. And if you ever do get in a bad situation where you start to shiver and your body's starting to shake, please get yourself in a situation where you're creating a fire, you're getting some warm liquids in your body because you're at a dangerous state. Hydration and nutrition are important. Make sure that you have things with you that you're able to eat anytime you're hungry. And when you carry water bottles, carry plenty of liquids because you, you don't think you're sweating out there, but you are, okay? And uh, it's hard, you're not able to do um, the same uh, hydration systems that we use with our pack with, with, uh, with water lines uh, on that because they're gonna freeze now. So you're, you gotta go to more of a Nalgene and use a wide mouth Nalgene and turn those upside down because water freezes on the top first. If you set them upside down and even put them in a wool sock or something like that, you're going to prevent that top from freezing so that you can access that top, okay? Just a little tip there. Okay, so energy level. Guys, make sure that you hydrate, make sure you have nutrition, be careful of overworking yourself and working up a sweat. Make sure that you're at a pace that works best for you and that's not putting you in a dangerous situation. Next up, gear. And I think when I talk about gear, the main thing that I want to talk about that I have found the two areas of failure uh, with my hunters are two things, rangefinders and shooting sticks. And rangefinders because if you are in a situation where you have weather happening, whether it's a fog, whether it's a light snow coming down or a thick snow coming down, you know, you come out and you find a, a bull in an open area or a deer in an open area, you throw that range finder up while there's that fog or that weather happening and you, you go and you click off and that animal, let's say you're a rifle hunter and you know that animal's at least 200 yards out and you're clicking off and it's saying 36, 25 because it's just not able to range. So uh, there's workarounds for that and we're gonna talk about it. Um, if you have that happening with your rangefinder, there's uh, something that I do that I've done as a workaround. It, it's something that uh, not everybody uh, knows about, or if you don't have it, you need to get it, and that's a thing called Onyx. And if you don't have Onyx while you're hunting, uh, and you might have another product like Onyx, cool, if you like that. But I use Onyx, and it has some features that I love. I don't go anywhere without it because 
uh, I'll talk about all the different things that I do with it in another podcast, but I was with a hunter. We ended up in a situation where we had a bull out in a park. There were a lot of other elk out in the area. We're trying to get set up for a shot and we're trying to range. And if you've ever been in bad weather, it is so hard to estimate those distances because that weather with the terrain can really play with you. Now, my hunter was confident to out to 300 yards, wanted it closer than 300 yards. So looking at these animals in that condition was really hard to judge. And, you know, I believe he had his rifle sighted in at 100 yards. And I, I really, you know, um, uh, how you sight in, you should know your weapon. And that's what I always tell. I don't know, be, being a bow hunter, I don't know all of these things about calibers and how they go up and down and what the distances are and what people feel right with and, you know, uh, how many grains they should shoot. And I, I, I don't deal a ton with that. <laughs> I use a sharp stick. So I expect my hunters to shoot before we go out. We shoot with them. Um, you know, I go out and I make sure that they shoot so that they're on because also when you're at high altitude, high elevation, that will change your shot and your shooting as well. So we always do that ahead of time. But, you know, my hunter had sighted into a certain distance and he was comfortable out to a certain distance. And when we look up and we can't range, he's just not confident. So at that point, it's a no shot situation. If he's not comfortable, the best shot is no shot. So here's what I did. If you pull out Onyx, Onyx will show you exactly where you're standing, okay? It'll put a dot right where you are on the terrain. This animal was out inside a park, and I can see what it looks like with the trees and stuff around that. Well, on my Onyx, the other thing that it'll do is if you go ahead and you can, uh, guys, go to uh, elkbros.com and read the story there uh, on that because I really describe this a lot better. Uh, I even have on our Patreon page, I have a video on there for my, my patrons. But if you know the controls on Onyx, there's a button that, I call it a button, it's an icon that you can tap that will center Onyx where you're standing. If you hit it again, now it will put out and point in the direction that you have, that you're looking or that you have your phone pointing. So what I would do is I would point, I would turn and point my phone at the elk out in the park. And then I'm looking down at my Onyx and comparing the imagery, the, the satellite image to what I'm seeing in front. And I see this bull standing at a tree that I can tell is exactly on my map almost exactly on my map to where he's standing out there. So all I have to do now is I go and I get a map tool called, yeah, down at the bottom, I, I click on the map tools and I get the line tool. And my first dot's gonna go where I'm standing. I hit right where I'm standing. My second dot is gonna go where I estimate that animal is according to that satellite image, and I hit that. Now, it's not gonna be exact, but I go out there and it says that that animal is 198. 
you know, my hunter is sighted in. He knows how high he needs to be at 200. Or if you're sighted in at 200 yards, man, you're cooking with Crisco now. So we do that. I know that that animal is right at that 200 range. We get him up. We get on sticks. Boom. Dead bull. And he is completely confident in that. And he makes a great shot. So that's kind of a workaround for doing that. Uh, if, you know, the only other choice you have is really knowing your area. And now I, I could have done something else. I could have seen, okay, I'm on the edge of a park. I can look at that park on Onyx and I can look at the other side where the other side of that park is and the bull is inside of that. And I could have clicked the dot where I'm at, clicked it to the other side of the park. And if it says that park is 250 yards, we know that shot's under 300 yards. So there's different workarounds if you just think about it and use your head a little bit, okay? That's a good tip for that gear situation. So here's the other failure point is shooting sticks. Um, a lot of guys have shooting sticks, but they have not prepared to shoot off them or really done a lot of practice off of them. You need to know what is your most comfortable position on shooting sticks. For me, I would rather my hunter be in a sitting position so it becomes three points. That's just me. Some people are more confident with their shooting sticks in a standing position. Some people are not comfortable at all with shooting sticks and would rather shoot off a tree off of a pack but I tell you if you're going to say I have to shoot off a tree or shoot off a pack you're going to be limiting your opportunities because if you're in a situation where there are no trees or if you're getting to shoot off a pack and now you have a lot of high brush around you where you're not able to get set up you're in a bad situation. So I always like to have shooting sticks and I always want to be practiced off them. And uh, I like to have them ready, have shots so the guys are comfortable on it and know what you need to do. Get down, get them popped out. You're up. You're finding that animal. Your finger is not on the trigger until you have that animal in sight and you're ready to take that shot. Now, once that shot once you have that animal ready to take that shot, now we're going to place our finger on that trigger. We're going to take our safety off, and we're going to surprise ourselves with the squeeze, okay, and make a great shot. Make sure it's a shot that you are comfortable with within your range, okay? And if you don't know the areas, the best places to shoot an animal, please go back to our elkrose.com page and go uh, watch the video on shot placement. That'll help you out a ton. All right. Uh, I would say the next area that sometimes people aren't ready for is after the kill. And I wouldn't say so much it's about not being ready to pack it out. I think a lot of guys probably think about that. They have their pack ready to do that. They have um, their knives. They have um, their... Uh, game bags with them. I think they're ready for that part. I think the part that they're not ready for is processing in freezing weather. And if you have never processed an animal out in freezing weather, like I, during September and during other times of the year, I always wear rubber gloves. I happen to be allergic 
to elk blood. Yeah, I know. I, I love eating them. I've hunted them for almost 40 years, uh, and and I'm allergic to elk blood. When it gets on me, I, I whelp up, break out, all kinds of stuff. So um, I wear some type of gloves. And if you wear those surgical gloves, uh, they're great because surgical gloves are almost like working with your skin. The problem is when you're in the animal and you're inside the carcass, no problem. You're inside there. Everything's nice and warm. It's when you get out of that, that that blood and, uh, and on the outside of your glove is going to freeze and it, your hands feel like they're freezing as well. So you end up with numb fingers and numb fingers um, can be very dangerous. You can end up cutting yourself. In fact, we were just in a situation where one of a friends of mine um, wasn't while we were in the carcass. It's when we were on the outside trying to do some skinning, trying to quarter the animal, trying to uh, get out the um, back straps and things like that, where their hands started to get cold, started to get numb. And next thing you know, you do something dumb with your hand, you end up cutting yourself. And a lot of times you don't even feel the fact that you cut yourself. So I recommend to guys after the kill to make sure that you have waterproof, cut resistant lined rubber gloves or you have rubber gloves that are thick enough that have a, a, a felt type lining on the inside of them so that it kind of insulates just a little bit. Or use a thin glove liner with rubber gloves, with the surgical gloves. Again, just to give yourself just a little bit of insulation. And guys, make sure, again, that you understand that Doing all that is work. You can sweat doing that. So take your time, be deliberate, don't put yourself in a bad situation. And if there's more than one guy doing that, don't start rushing, throwing knives around. And, and, and I don't mean throwing it physically. I mean like, you know, you start cutting on something or something gets tough because your knife gets a little dull. And next thing you know, you're really pushing at it and somebody else is cutting next to you and you end up going a little wider than you need to, and that's a good way to cut a buddy. So um, you guys be aware and present about where your knives are and which direction they're going, okay? It's kind of like, um, you know, our same safety tips for guns. You always want to know where that muzzle is pointing. With those knives, you want to know which direction that sharp, that sharp edge is going and who's there, okay? Now, um, clothing, uh, the, the only thing I want to bring in clothing is, is, is I've talked a little bit about being too bulky. And, and like I said, your head is the best way to regulate your temperature. That's where most of your heat is going to come out of a hat. And I always like to, I like to take a ball cap and I like to take a stocking cap with me because Sometimes I'm just getting too hot and I need that ball cap, just something just to keep a little bit of warmth in there. So I carry both of those. And um, I like to keep one, if I'm doing a stocking cap, one that's not going to get soaked next to my head, something that's going to wick away. So think about that. Lower body, again, merino, poly, moisture wicking, something with some light thermal quality. Same thing with the upper body. You know, uh, I want something that's going to wick moisture away as a layer. Critical because you don't want to get and have moisture just sticking next to your body, okay? Uh, we've talked about the hands a little bit. On the There are some things that I think are awesome when you're out in the snow. 
gaiters and gaiters are going to protect you from getting that moisture on your lower legs where it's melting because your body's hot down there it's going to stay on the outside it's going to keep you dry if you're if your legs arms and your body stay dry you're going to stay warm okay it's that moisture that's going to start soaking that cold in on you uh, also if your boots are too tight or your socks are too thick and you get compressed toes and, and socks in there, that compression is going to mean cold. You're going to lose that insulative quality. Now, it can't be too loose. You're going to end up with, uh, you're going to end up with blisters and stuff if it's too loose. But there's that happy medium. You don't want your toes squished into your boot to where they can hardly uh, move around in there. Okay? Uh, not only leg gaiters, but neck gaiters. I find that neck gaiters that I can pull up around my face, that I can pull up on the back of my head. They are awesome because they can be used in so many different ways, okay? So I, I hate for, I don't like to wear hoods because I think it distracts my view, but uh, I hate for things to fall down the back of my neck. So those neck gaiters, you know, with a, a high collar that's brought together, uh, I'm in high cotton with that. So that's pretty much what I'm going to cover on this part of it. Uh, I'm almost an hour into it here, and uh, I've given you a whole lot of information there. Uh, just some of those possible areas for you to think about when you're there. Now, before I get out of here, uh, I do want to go to the Elk Bros mailbox. Uh, guys, don't forget if you have questions to send them in. So the first, uh, the first one is going to come from Brian from Pueblo, Colorado. Uh, Brian, his last name is, and Brian, I hope I say this right. Uh, I know him as the, the camper man, Brian Zakovec uh, from Pueblo, Colorado. Uh, one of his questions is, is that some of the hunters I went with were saying that mountain lions will drive a herd of elk entirely out of an area. Is that true? If so, how far do the elk usually travel? Well, um, I, I can tell you I have actually been on a group of elk that a cat was hunting um, a mountain lion at the same time. And yes, things can go silent really, really fast. How far they move is completely random. I mean, they can end up going over into another drainage. They can go into their defensive high point where they go and then end up coming back down to the same area. Or they, if they know that cat's in there, they're just going to move over to a whole different area. Uh, yes, a cat can clear elk out of an area really, really fast. And uh, so uh, true on that. Um, the other thing, the second question he had was, we almost completely covered a 42 square mile area, mostly on foot and not doing any road hunting. One hunter saw one bull and six cows. Didn't see many droppings, footprints, or much of any elk sign. And with 10 guys, only one guy had actually seen an elk and it had snowed before we got there so they would have been able to see footprints. Do elk ever just leave an area completely? said the guys I went with have been hunting there for 30 years and said they see elk every year they have been there. Is this typical? So um, as far as the 30-year thing goes, Brian, is on my last hunt, I hunted 
my honey holes for the first day. I mean, all my best spots. And I didn't see the first hair of a nail. Buddy, it was crazy. And what you're talking about, I heard from so many different hunters throughout the year so or this season. So there, there's one thing I want you to think about. When, when they say that there's elk there every year, some people have short memories because, you know, when we have and what we have had in Colorado, New Mexico for most of these years is we haven't had a whole lot of moisture. And when you don't have a whole lot of moisture, elk are going to congregate. They're going to be, um, they're going to be more elk in smaller areas where the good feed and the good food are. They're going to end up congregating in those areas and generally those areas that have that food that have that moisture during those drier years are the same places every year and we kind of get used to finding them in those dry seasons in those places even as elk guides that happens we get used to uh, the easy areas where we see them all the time every year but on those years where you get a lot of moisture and that feed is spread out I tell you what, in New Mexico, and I know Southern Colorado, the amount of pinon, the amount of juniper berries, the amount of good grass was incredible and everywhere. So instead of those um, elk being condensed into an area, now they're going to be spread out more. And now those areas where you haven't found them in the past are areas that now might have good feed in them because they had better moisture. And there are areas where they can actually stay hidden where they haven't come across people. And they could stay there in the past because there just wasn't good enough moisture to have good enough feed. So their honey holes from the, the past or certain years or places that they can actually go to that there's not so much pressure. So that's, that's something that happens with that. Now, um, you, you always hear that term, Elka, where they find them. I, I know that sounds ridiculous and it's probably where people think that's so overused, but it's true, man. I mean, uh, if you're, beating an area and you're not finding any sign you're not finding any track uh then i would just tell you it's time to leave you know uh I, i'd be heading 10 or 20 miles to a new drainage to a new basin to a new mesa and checking those areas i would look for places where guys just haven't hunted in the past because elk haven't been there and maybe it's a different situation so can they move out of an area uh yep and that doesn't mean that they're not going to be there in five days or 10 days or 15 days. It just means they're not there now. So, uh, Elka, where you find them, bud. Okay. Um, I've been on, this is, uh, I'm going to go ahead and do one more. And, uh, and, and I want to cover this one. This one's from Mark Fahey from Connecticut. And Mark says, we're all in our 20s and living on a budget, but we have decided we're going to head to Colorado uh, the fall of 2020 with our sights on some OTC tags. Good luck, y'all. Uh, Colorado's a great place. Our biggest predicament right now is deciding, should we pony up and splurge for a drop camp or DIY? DIY, do it yourself. As I said, we're all on a budget, so we want to be able to have as much time to, uh, oh, we won't have as much time to preseason scout as it 
if we were to DIY with obligations at work and all the additional funds to travel 2,000 miles away. It doesn't make sense to invest in extra time and money. So we're looking at a drop camp, more looking for someone who knows the area and the general habits of the animal. So basically it's the scouting that they're looking for. Do you know if these drop camp services are willing to make suggestions if you tell them an area you are looking to be in or do you need to give them a GPS coordinate and that's where they take you? Um, obviously, there are numerous benefits to a drop camp with the only main drawback being the added $2,000 in gratuity. So you really need to look into these drop camps because there's all different flavors of drop camp. Um, you can hire guys for less than that $2,000 to pack you and your other guys in and then at a certain time bring you out. Now, if it's, a, if it's a full drop where they're going and setting up tents and they're going to put you in a location, um, then that's probably that $2,000 per person plus gratuity. Uh, but what happens is, is, especially in Colorado, guys are licensed to work and to drop in certain uh, units in certain areas. So that's the area they're going to take you in. When you get dropped into an area, you are not paying for a guide. Now, will they tell you, yeah, over on this ridge, we've had luck, or on this one, we've had luck. Yeah, I'm sure you're going to get that from them, but it's it's not necessarily that they're doing scouting and that they're going to guide you. Uh, if So if what you're looking for, somebody to do the scouting for you, Mm, that's not necessarily the case. Do they know the area? Heck yeah. They've been in and out of it year after year. They know where people have luck in the past, during the season, so they can kind of point you in the right direction. So whether you should pony that up depends on you. You know, um, can you do the same kind of homework by making phone calls or different things? Uh, you can I know a lot of people that do it and they get into areas where they go ahead and take themselves in. Again, I, th I think an option, a huge option that you can do is you can actually go in and then pay for services for these guys to come in and pack animals out for you or to take you out. So if, uh, if you're looking for my opinion on the DIY and the drop camp, you know, um, just because they go in and drop you off and they say that there's elk in an area, once you're in there and you've been dropped and you're in camp, remember, that's where you're at. So uh, there's pluses and minuses to that. One of them is if you're not finding elk in the area, uh, you're stuck. You are where you are. Now, if you're using that as a base and then you have packs where you can go ahead and hunt from there into different drainages and area, well, good, but again, you're only going to go certain distances from that, okay? So my recommendation is if you have a certain area that you've done your homework that you want to hunt, find out those guys that are doing the drop, uh, the drop camps there. Talk to them about their flavor of the drop camp. Talk to them about how many people they're putting into that area because a lot of times you're going to find that, you know, more than you are going to be dropped in an area. Now, they don't want to put you right on top of each other. They want return customers. They want you to be happy. So they're going to do the best, the best they can with that. But there are going to be other people trying to get back in there and are going to be dropped into that area as well. 
So those are thoughts for you to consider. I tell you, call, talk, ask a lot of questions. If you want to know what questions to ask, send those uh, questions to us and we'll continue to talk about that. Okay. So guys, uh, I'm going to call it an evening. Uh, we're going to be done with this one. And uh, again, if you like what we're doing, please go down, subscribe, please rate and review us. And you have to rate and review us at Apple Podcasts uh, on I or on iTunes. And you can always check out more of our content on elkbros.com. So um, if you have any questions, remember to send those in to info at elkbros.com. So I, I hope you've enjoyed this evening's show. And uh, I would like to, uh, again, remind all of you on this week of Thanksgiving, take a look around you. Uh, Gilbert always says, you know, hug your babies. Guys, kiss your wives. Wives, kiss your husbands. Um, I think that is so important right now to really think about the great things that you have in your life. All the quality, the family around you. Enjoy them. Uh, enjoy them more than just this week. And, you know, Please don't take things for granted because they can change quick. Uh, like to wish everybody the best out there. Have a great Thanksgiving. God bless. We'll see you next week on Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Good night.